0: Well hello, this is Peter Morville, and today I'm talking with Jeff Gotthelf about planning. Uh, Jeff is a coach, a workshop leader, and a speaker based in New York City. He's the author of Lean UX, which is about applying lean principles to improve user experience. Uh, He's recently written a new book called Sense and Respond, which uh, will be available in February. Uh, Jeff, maybe you could kick things off and tell us a little about your new book.
1: Sure thing, Peter. Uh, thanks so much for having me. So the new, the new book, Sense and Respond, is uh, in many ways, it's, it's, a, it's a meta title in that it is a response to the feedback that we sensed from Lean UX. Uh, and I talk, when I say we, I talk about Josh Seiden and I, who was my co-author on Lean UX, as well as on Sense and Respond. Um, we got... Lots and lots of interesting feedback over the years from Lean UX. It came out originally in March of 2013, so we are three and a half years into it. We just released the second edition of it um, back in October of 2016, and there have been lots of interesting ideas <clears throat> excuse me, um, about how uh, this these ideas work, but the overarching theme that we got over the years was we buy this way of working. We want to work this way. Our bosses, our companies won't let us work this way, uh-huh. and so we wrote Sense and Respond as a response to that feedback to say, "Dear manager, dear executive, uh, you know, dear CEO, this is the 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 kind. The, these are the ways that you need to structure your organization, the way that you need to build your teams, to leverage technology, to incentivize, to plan." in order to create an environment for your teams to thrive and that's really what the focus of the book is about and it makes it makes two big points it's really two theses in the book the first half of the book makes the case that you are in the software business no matter what you do whether you're a bank an insurance company in manufacturing whatever it is you know food products whatever you do If you're a company of scale or a company that seeks to scale in the 21st century, you are first and foremost in the software business. And we make a variety of of pitches about why that's true and how we've seen that play out in, in all kinds of industries from financial services all the way through to agriculture. And then the second half of the book says if you buy that you are in the software business, this is how managing and leading your organization has to change. It's different than traditional manufacturing-based uh, management theory, and this is why it's better. And this is how to move uh, HR forward, finance, design, technology, et cetera, into building these um, continuously learning organizations.
0: Interesting. That sounds great. It sounds like the world needs that book. Uh, I'd like to think so. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Well, um, I am looking forward to reading that book. Um, I haven't read it yet, obviously. Um, As I ask you questions about Lean UX, if there are things that, uh, you know, sort of jump to mind as kind of, you know, kind of part of the new book and elevating it to that CEO and manager level, please, um, please add those to the, to the conversation. Um, And that'll give folks something to look forward to as well. Um, So, yeah so i want to ta- I want to start ask you questions based on on kind of my reading of your uh, lean UX book um, so uh, in there you you explain the three foundations of lean UX are design thinking agile software development, and the lean startup method um, all of which are aligned with the principle that's stated in the agile manifesto of uh, responding to change over following a plan, uh, you know, along with some other principles, but that one is pertinent to our conversation. Responding to change over following a plan. So, I'm just curious if you could start start out and just tell us a little bit about your perspective on planning, and and, and is there a place for it in Lean UX?
1: Yeah, it, it, it's it's really I think one of the most interesting uh, evolutions of of the content that that I've created over the years is. The article that launched the conversation globally about Lean UX was one that I wrote for Smashing Magazine back in 2011, so five and a half years ago at this point, called Lean UX Getting Out of the Deliverables Business, and I wrote that article with the – as an appeal to designers and the the people who work with them and who employ them to refocus their efforts away from creating documentation for the sake of creating documentation and focusing more on designing great experiences, focusing on the customer, and ensuring that we're actually building and designing products and services that have value to our end users. But what's happened over the years, and I I see this with Agile, As well, Uh is that the people took that literally and they said, well, we don't need documents and we don't need to plan and everything is we're just going to figure we're going to be agile and just figure things out. You know, we're going to jump out of the plane and and figure out how to build a parachute on the way down. (laughs) It's it's a type of thing. Um, And and that's really not the right approach Um, and and not really what what I had in mind, certainly with with that conversation. So my, my view on planning is that you have to have a plan. There must be a plan, right? We were at point A and we'd like to get to point B. But the reality is, particularly in a software-driven world, is that you cannot predict exactly how or if you're going to get to point B. Software development is complex and unpredictable. Humans are complex and unpredictable. It's not like you know, it's not like you're making, a, a Sharpie, for example, uh-huh. right? If you're making a Sharpie, you know exactly what's going to go into the production of a Sharpie. You know how to make one. You know how to make a thousand or a million of them. And you can optimize that process for efficiency and predictability that says, I know that we can make 250,000 Sharpies a day. And this is what it costs. And this is how we'll get to a million or a billion or whatever it is with. Technology is the raw material for most businesses these days. You simply can't make that kind of plan. In my experience, companies that try to do that today, in other words, what they're trying to do is fix time and fix scope to say, I know that we will have these three features by Thursday. (laughs) Right. When companies try to do that, one of three things happens invariably. We move the deadline. We reduce scope or we put our people through, you know, crunch mode. 80 hours a week to hit the deadline, and then they burn out and they quit and they go work somewhere else, which is not a sustainable option either. And so why does this continue to happen? And it continues to happen again because software is complex and unpredictable. And so you can make plans around strategic vision and themes and direction that you'd like to go in, but looking out tactically beyond I'll say a quarter, but I think a quarter is even optimistic. Mm-hmm. But looking at looking out beyond a quarter um, tactically becomes increasingly risky. And so the, the the focus of planning, which traditionally was very roadmap based and roadmaps being features, should start to morph into being outcome based, not feature based. Uh-huh. And what I mean by that is what is the customer behavior that we would like to promote? with our product, with our service, with the thing that we're making. And let's use that as the guiding principle for our planning efforts. And because we've got the capabilities now, again, with, with, with technology at the core, to get our ideas into customers' hands and to learn quickly how good or how bad, how effective or ineffective those ideas are, we can then react much more quickly about the tactical execution using the customer behavior metric as the barometer for our ongoing decision making.
0: Okay. Interesting. So, um, and I totally, I totally um, hear you on that. Uh, that sort of too little in too literal interpretation of what you said. I think it's it's so easy um, for you know uh, for, for those misinterpretations or kind of overreactions to, to get a little out of hand. And this question may feel like it's kind of coming from the same space. Um, so in the book you write that the assumption in lean UX is that the initial product designs will be wrong. Uh, so the goal should be to find out what's wrong with them as soon as possible, um, and and so for me that kind of raises the question: Is it worth aiming for initial product designs that are less wrong? <laughs> um, you know, for instance, by hiring you know good designers, by investing in research. Um, you know, how do you sort of balance that tension between trying to get you know a good starting point? Um, versus iterating um, uh, along the way.
1: Got it. The, the, short, the short answer to your question is yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> um, the slightly longer answer to your question is that we should strive to put out the best possible guess that we can initially. And so that means leveraging uh, domain expertise, historical data um market analysis uh, great designers research that we've done in the past but we shouldn't let th- uh, so, so the, yeah so the goal is to put out the most right uh, approach possible but we should be open to the fact that there will invariably be opportunities for optimization yep. and that we need to learn what those are as quickly as possible and so i mean lean ux really is a conversation about research for example people always always wonder where where it fits in the process and lean startup and really it's 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 a it's a research methodology but what it does is it takes the traditional uh heavy upfront investment for research and it says look let's do less of that but let's do it more often Mm -hmm. So instead of having a big Research initiative at the beginning or in the middle or at the end, we're going to do a little bit of research now and a little bit of research in the next sprint and the next sprint and the next sprint so that we're always uh, we're continuously learning and we're continuously course correcting. But that doesn't that that doesn't discard anything that we already know or that that, you know, any kind of expertise that we already have from participating in putting out the best possible initial initial approach
0: right yeah that makes perfect sense to me and i you know what i sort of hear in that too is that you know with that sort of idea of a best possible guess we need to sort of bring to that some humility and honesty and recognizing that there's because it's because we're dealing with something that's you know complex and unpredictable uh we shouldn't uh we shouldn't assume we can get that guess you know um As close to the target as we could have with a sharpie, right? So we we need to we need that sort of humility of let's get the best possible guess, but let's not invest huge amounts of time and resources because we are going to get it wrong to some degree. Yeah,
1: that's exactly right, and and so it's risk mitigation. And, and you know it's funny every time i talk to teams about this or executives about this it boils down to risk mitigation which is a less sexy book title <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right than than lean ux or lean startup or agile from the trenches or you know whatever it is but that's what all these methodologies are really built upon it's it's about reducing the risk of building something that people don't want
0: yeah yeah um so i'm curious Talk a little bit about the extent to which these principles of lean UX apply across contexts. So, to me, it's the most obvious context where this stuff makes sense and and is kind of you know where the the lean startup um, sort of ideas came from is a small startup operating under conditions of extreme uncertainty, a new kind of product. Um, you know, that's one end of the spectrum. The other is something like a Fortune five hundred or a federal government agency. You know, to what degree do these principles apply across that context, um, or or are there things that just don't work in those those sort of larger, more formal places?
1: So the the principles, in other words, the values of these methodologies like Lean Startup and Agile and so forth, uh, I think they apply universally. Mm-hmm. They, they they simply teach us to uh, to have that uh, what Astro Teller calls enthusiastic skepticism. Uh-huh. uh which I, I love that phrase. Mm-hmm. Um right to, to to have our strong opinions loosely held and to continually validate continuously validate that we are working on something of value to our to our customers. Now that said the tactics must vary from organization to organization, from industry to industry. Right there are certain things that you can much more easily do in a B2C retail environment Than you could in a B2B finance environment or a regulated healthcare environment or even a government agency. But the, so that requires a bit of creativity and improvisation and, you know, boundary stretching Uh here and there. But the values of short cycles, continuous feedback, responding to change, uh, you know, continuous improvement, continuous learning, those values. Uh, our, our evidence-based decision making too which is a key component of this those ring true regardless of industry or uh, or domain yeah
0: and I'm guessing it's those I'm guessing it's those larger more established corporations where um, that need for sense and respond is most pronounced uh.
1: well, yeah which which is fascinating because they have the capability to do this mm-hmm. better than anybody else they have got the market share they've got, the customers they've got, the employees they've invested in technology they've uh, they've built a brand. People are looking to hear from them. People are interested in communicating back to them. And so, by people, I mean customers primarily. Uh, so, so the the all the the ingredients for a fantastic continuous feedback loop are there. It's just a matter of organizations recognizing that, and then wanting to take advantage of it and then learning how to, to leverage that information in, in a meaningful way.
0: Uh-huh. So you talked about, um, you know, sort of lean UX being a conversation about research um, and, you know, I also sort of see it as a, a, you a know, kind of research and design and planning kind of going together in that context um, that you're sort of changing the way that, that that those three things are done. That you're doing them more iteratively. Um, you know, can you talk about the planning piece a little bit? Are there th- are there are there sort of conversations around planning that you have with folks as you're trying to explain uh, this these methods?
1: Yeah, th- th- this is by far the hardest part in this whole in this whole thing. And th- and this is where the conversation really breaks down from manager or leader to execution teams because the teams they know how they want to work. But the manager says, well, terrific. I need to know where you'll be in a week, in a month, in a quarter, in six months. Can you just tell me so that when I get asked by my boss, I have a good sense of what's happening? And so that's really where this starts to break down. And so we'll start uh, – the, the, this conversation starts at the tactical planning um, stage, but it really rolls up much further, much higher in the organization. So, so the, the tactical – Manifestation of of modern planning, and certainly the way that we've laid it out in Sense and Respond, is um, that you have to pick uh, corporate success goals. What com, com, more more popularly known these days as OKRs, uh-huh. uh, outcome, objectives and key results, and those are generally measures of customer behavior. Even things like at, at the at the highest corporate level, uh, sales revenue profit uh nps those types of things those are all measures of customer behavior right people bought more stuff from us they paid a higher price they told their friends about us they liked what their experience um, and as you start to break those things down into leading indicators you can start to task either business units or specific teams with shifting these leading indicators of corporate success. So what drives sales? Well, repeat visits, um, high NPS, uh, friends recommendations, things like that. Okay. Terrific. We'd like a team working on driving an increase in word of mouth recommendations for our product. Okay. Now all of a sudden you're saying, okay, we've got this group of folks who are now targeting this objective for the next, you could even say a year, right? Now what they're going to do between today and the end of 2017 we don't know but what we're going to do is we're going to we're going to give them the leeway and the empowerment to figure that out through rapid experimentation continuous feedback and learning now what the onus is on those teams is to report back to their managers and to their leaders to say we tried this it didn't work here's what we learned and we're going to try this next and when something works is to say we tried that it worked We've now increased word-of-mouth marketing uh, – word-of-mouth uh, acquisition by 8%. Our goal is 38%, so we've got a little bit more ways to go. Uh-huh. And so what this does is it t- it gives you a roadmap, but that roadmap is based on uh, customer behavior, not specific features. Right. Now, the challenge, the biggest challenge in this – well, it's, there's a lot of challenges. First of all, most companies simply don't work this way, but – where this starts to get interesting and more complicated is the further up in the organization you go because writing a roadmap like that is not necessarily any more or less challenging than writing a traditional roadmap. But if it doesn't align with the manager and the team's incentive structures, they're never going to work this way. Mm-hmm. So if they're incentivized to ship features, if that's what the performance management system is measuring, if that's what they're getting, uh, bonused on uh, what they're getting evaluated on, then they are going to optimize for features. Yep. And that's where this gets, that's really where the conflict hits here is it's about, um, I would love to work this way, but I don't get paid for shifting customer behavior. I get paid for launching two-factor
0: authentication. All right. You know what's interesting is because you said that you know this is um, by far the hardest part, and I think very often when <laughs> when that's true, there's there are cultural issues at work, and um, I, you know, w- w- what I sort of am, am hearing underneath this is culturally, there's this um, fear of acknowledging the inherent uncertainty <laughs> um, as we look forward, and you know, defining features and saying, okay, put this on a roadmap, you know, I want to know when this is going to happen, when that's going to happen. It creates this illusion of certainty. Um, And, 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 and so, I mean, have you, have you sort of, you know, wrestled with these, this sort of cultural challenge that's sort of underlying um, this, this kind of uh, you know, gripping onto the, the features and the schedule.
1: Yeah, so so, and that's really one. Of, it's one of the key themes too. in in um, sense and respond, mm-hmm. we we touch on it in Lean UX, but we really hit it hard in sense and respond, which is embracing uncertainty. Yeah, that that's the key here. The key here is that you you look. No one can predict the future, but in traditional manufacturing, you could at least say we know the factory spits out two hundred fifty thousand sharpies a day. So so, I can tell you that by the end of the week, we'll have one point two five million sharpies. Right? You simply can't do that. In a software-driven world, in in a in a modern business, and so uh, that is the key here. The key is to embrace uncertainty, and for it to be okay to be wrong. Right? That's that's the key, and I think that that's where people fear the yeah. the uncertainty is to say, well, if if I make this prediction and I'm wrong, I lose my job, right? Or if I commit to these features and we don't hit them. Then I lose my job. And that's really where this, or, or I get, you know, I don't get my bonus or, wh- or whatever it is. And so that's the other cultural component here is to say, if we embrace uncertainty, if we're a humble organization, top down, then it's okay to be wrong and it's okay to learn from that. Now, to be clear, the learning has to be cost effective. You can't just work for 18 months right. and then tank the project because, oh, I was wrong. And that's where these lean and agile principles come in uh, that say, look, Let's find out as quickly as we can, as cheaply as we can, if we're wrong, and then let's adjust course and learn from that.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So I want to switch gears um, So we're kind of start to wrap up. Um, speaking about uncertainty, uh, you know, there's lots of disruption going on in our world these days, and um, I just noticed that uh, – uh there's there's news that that Google is spinning out their self-driving car technology as a separate company and so that's sort of happening um and at sort of a much smaller level, I noticed um, that in scheduling this interview, you 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 were using an artificial intelligence personal assistant called Amy <laughs> Ingram. Uh, yeah. I was just kind of curious how that's working out for you.
1: Um, so I've so, so the service that I use is called X AI, uh-huh. and uh, I've been a, a user of it for a, over a year at this point. I was a beta tester, and um, they've converted me into a paying customer. Okay. So it, it, in that sense, it works really well. I. You know, it's I didn't trust Amy. <laughs> and by the way, you have a choice; you can choose Amy or you can choose Andrew. Okay. Uh, in both cases, their initials spell AI. Got it. Um, but uh, the I didn't trust it at first. I really didn't. Um, and so they they know that, and they they copy you on all communications for the first three meetings that I'm going to say she sets uh-huh. up or that it sets up. Uh the, the gender pronouns are getting a bit tricky yeah. <laughs> with this. Um but uh but they've really refined it to a point where uh Amy schedules ninety percent of my meetings successfully. She handles almost all situations and they've created it in such a way that whenever the algorithm bumps up against something that she doesn't know how to handle, uh-huh. uh she just forwards it to me and says, I don't know how to handle this. Um but it's it's conversational and I, I, I can't tell you how many people don't know that it's not a real person and and send her <laughs> messages
0: uh-huh.
1: uh, all the time, and so they've done a terrific job at emulating naturals language reactions, that type of thing. Um, and uh, you know, it, it, at, at what what I think I pay forty bucks a month for it now. At forty bucks a month, it's it's a lot cheaper than than a real life personal assistant, and takes care of you know ninety ninety five percent of my scheduling, saves me hours every month, tens of hours every month.
0: Wow, that's cool. Yeah, and it obviously worked because we're talking. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So um, any other tools or strategies that you're sort of using for planning or productivity?
1: For planning and productivity, I use, uh, so so for me, my key tools are Trello. So I use a personal Kanban board that I've created for myself in Trello. Uh It keeps me honest. And I I run uh, almost all of my, personal projects on trello uh which is to me just a really nice, it's, it's just a you know it's just a to-do list but it keeps me honest uh i use my calendar i live and die by my calendar i i, I when i work with folks I, I i give you a funny anecdote i was trying to make a, uh make a meeting happen with this author over in spain and i said when can we schedule a call and he said if you see me online on Skype." Just call me. I don't like to schedule calls because it detracts from my writing uh-huh. uh, flow. And I was just blown away. It's really just it's, <laughs> it's it's so it's so 180 degrees from the way that I function. Yeah. Like for me, when I'm when I have free quote unquote free time, the last thing I want to be doing is to be on a call, yeah,
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> right? And so uh, for me, it's all about my calendar. My calendar, I live and die by that for productivity. If it's on my calendar, it exists. If it's not on there, it does not exist and is not happening in my world. Um, and I so I always try to block off my afternoons for, for actual work, not just meetings and phone calls. Uh-huh. And, um, and then the other tool for me is my inbox, uh, which I, I, I really work towards inbox zero as much as I can. So between inbox, calendar, and Trello, That's my productivity and planning system.
0: Makes sense. So we're just about out of time. Any sort of last thoughts or suggestions?
1: I I think the 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 thing that I would suggest is as you're entering conversations around planning with your team or with your boss or, or with with leadership, to really think through previous engagements. It's it's a risky proposition because that previous engagement was probably somebody's baby, and to point you know to call them out in front of managers is a little bit risky but say look you know every time that we fix time and scope this is what happens maybe we can try something differently and, and again the, the the requests that you're making these are life-altering fundamental top-down cultural changes you're saying look for this project for the next six weeks let's try working on it this way and at the end of six weeks Let's get together and do a retrospective, which is another great agile principle, value and tactic. And it's to say, look, how did the last six weeks go? Was this better than the last time we tried to do something like this? And and yes, no, how, why? And then keep getting better and keep improving. I think that's the key is, is to really try to push forward uh, experiments in process change and in planning change and then reflecting on how effective or ineffective those were and why and then improving from there
0: makes absolute sense to me. I totally agree. Um, and, and with that, I want to thank you for uh, taking the time to talk. i really enjoyed our conversation.
1: My pleasure, Peter. Thanks so much for having me.
0: All right. Thanks, Jeff.